Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church Podcast for Sunday, February 19th, 2024. Today's sermon will be from Matthew 16, 17 to 19. If you'd like to follow along, please go to gracebaptistchurchnc.org, click the current sermons link at the top, and click today's manuscript. Welcome to Grace Baptist Church. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 13 to 20, and uh, we will be there, by the way, I told you last week we'd be there three weeks, we're actually going to be there four weeks. Um, as you're turning there, before you go, on, on, on another note, just want to make everybody aware, just on a different um, kind of, anyway, Garrison won the state championship in uh, wrestling this, yesterday, so we we give God the glory for that Garrison and uh, and so he he is the one that gives us all of our strength and everything you know in our minds too because I know wrestling's just about as much as the mind as it is everything else but uh, God gives it all and so we we rejoice in in God's common grace there so um, Matthew chapter 16 I'm going to read verses 13 to 20 then I'm going to pray And then we'll get started. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And that's what we answered last week. And so the disciples say in verse 14, they say, or they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then Jesus says to them, but who do you, Peter, and the disciples say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, and I believe generally that Simon is replying for all of the disciples, but he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we looked last week at that confession. What is a true confession? And we're continuing that topic this week. And Jesus said to him, and this is where we'll be more this week, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Simon, you are a man. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. But my Father who is in heaven, he is the one who has revealed this to you. And I tell you, you are Peter, word for rock. And on this rock, second word, rock. There, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged them, the disciples, to tell no one that he was the Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that uh, these words, you have given them to us. And here we are as your church, as your people, and I get to just stand up here and recount these words and do my best by your grace to, to preach truth that we might hear, that we might understand, and that we might love Christ more. Father, that's my prayer today, that Christ might be, become more beautiful to us as he is the foundation of the church. And I pray that 
he would increase. I pray that, that I, that we would decrease. Father, we are great sinners. Father, in spite of me, as one of those great sinners, I pray that you would work as we think about this passage today. We are very, very grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the sermon is Foundations of the True Confession. And last week, again, we looked at the, the foundations of what is a true confession. Today we're going to look at the foundations behind true confession with a couple more truths as we work through this passage. And so, I'm going to go ahead and give you the two truths, which I have just two, and then we'll have some, some applications. But the first truth is this, a true confession is based upon revelation, revelation that comes from God. So that's pretty easy, I think, and that's the first truth. And the second truth is this, that, the, that, that Christ is the foundation of, of the true confession. And we, we will find out, we'll see that as he is the foundation of the church. But number one, a true confession is based upon revelation. There is no true confession unless God reveals. The word here um, is to reveal. God, as, as Jesus says to Peter, God revealed this to you. The word reveal, is, it means to unveil or to uncover something. Or to make something known that wasn't previously known. And the word we get in, in English is revelation. It's kind of like... An, I know the Steinbargers went off to a gender reveal party yesterday, and we often do that. That's kind of new, I think, in this generation. But you go to the doctor, and you get the ultrasound, and you find out, is this a boy or is this a girl? And then it is revealed because you didn't know before. And so in the same kind of way, that's kind of what that word means in the English. God reveals something to us. And so in this context, God revealed this truth to Peter and to the disciples. And let me ask, what truth did God reveal to Peter and to the disciples? Well, it's in the context, it's what we've been preaching on. He revealed the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. That is the revelation. And Jesus says to Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this truth to you, Peter. In other words... Peter, it didn't come from you. It didn't come from man. Flesh and blood did not reveal this truth, Peter. It did not originate with you. It did not come from another person. Um, and, and, and as we think about that, nor could this revelation come from any kind of flesh and blood. In other words, Peter did not learn it through philosophy. He did not learn it through poetry. He did not learn it by looking at nature. He did not learn it by looking at the depths of his own heart. Jesus was saying, Peter, if God had not revealed this to you, unveiled this to you, you would still be in the dark. And because of this revelation, you are truly a blessed man. And so are, so are we. If we have made this confession, it has been real, revealed to us by God, we are blessed, we are happy, because there is no confession that brings happiness and blessedness as the one that Peter made and that we make. 
So this means that for the Christian, if you are a Christian today, the one who confesses Jesus as the Son of God, the immediate cause of this faith that comes, we might say it comes from within and goes out, faith given to us, the immediate cause of this faith is divine revelation. Consider the following verses that use the same word reveal that we have here in, in Matthew here, I mean, excuse me, in verse um, 18. Matthew eleven twenty five, Jesus says this, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Jesus makes it very clear in his teachings that faith is not the effort or the product of our own abilities, the best of which are but flesh and blood. Consider John 6, and 45. Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. John 17, verse 6 and following, Jesus says, I have revealed your name to the men you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Now <clears throat> they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which are given to me. And they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you. And they have believed that you sent me. Galatians 1, 5, 15 and 16. The Apostle Paul says the same thing. When he was thinking about his own conversion, as we should do when we hear these words. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal. There's our word again. To reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. That's an, that's an application. God has revealed his son to you and to me that we might what? That we might preach him to the world. There are scores of other verses from the Old Testament and the New. But let's consider just some applications before we move on. A couple applications for us. One is this. Since God reveals this truth to us, there is no room for boasting. God receives all the glory for our salvation. Jesus did not say to Peter, Hey Peter, good words. Good answer, dude. Boy, you are a bright young man. Good decision you've made. He didn't sound like any of those things. Instead, Jesus says to Peter, God revealed this to you. So when we pray for someone to be saved, how do we pray? Well, we don't say, Lord, we'll just use the word Johnny. We don't say, um, thank you, God. Thank you, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth for saving Johnny. Um, I, mean, I mean, for Johnny making a good decision. That's exactly what we pray. We say, thank you, Lord, for working in Johnny, for saving Johnny. Even though he's always rebelled against you, he's tried his best to bring reproach upon your name and your people, we say, thank you. When one of our children, his parents, becomes a Christian, what do we pray? God, thank you for opening our child's eyes, for causing him or her to see 
for opening his ears so that he might hear. We say to God, thank you for taking out their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh. This is how we pray. And so I know that there's no other doctrine that causes us to be humble to know that God is the one that reveals. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from flesh and blood. Another application. This also means that when we share, when you go out and you share the gospel with your neighbors and your co-workers and your family, and when we go to the ends of the earth and we send our folks to the ends of the earth, wherever that is, we know that our message will be successful. They, it won't always fall on deaf ears. It often will, but it will not always. We know that God will reveal Himself to sinful mankind. He will make sure His Word does not come back to Him void. Isaiah says that. He, he thanks God and He says, I thank you for your Word. It has come down to us like the rain, like the dew, and it waters the ground. And it doesn't go back without coming down and doing what you have sent it to do. We know also the book of Revelation says that God will gather for Himself a people who will worship Him around the throne from every tribe, nation, and tongue. That means that the message that, we, that I proclaim this morning, the message that you proclaim when you go out, that we send out, folks, it will be successful. Uh, and, and, and again, a little, little point here. That'll be in God's timing to reveal. I grew up in the church. I grew up hearing the gospel. I was, a, a, I was baptized at the age of 11. And you've heard my story many times. But all of a sudden, at the age of 19, for the first time ever, we talked about this morning in our, in our class, for the first time ever, with my mind, I heard these words and I thought, and I read the Bible myself and I thought, this is true. This is what I believe. This is what I want. And then with my heart, I said, this is what I want. Well, then I can't just say that all of a sudden on that particular date at that night that, that, that I just made a good decision. I have to go back to God revealing that to me. And we could go into the more details of calling and regeneration and then conversion and those types of things. But at the end of the day, God is the one who did it. And He did it. And so, just a little point there. God works, the Spirit blows where He wills. So, if you are a parent or you are a friend praying for a friend, keep praying. And I, I must confess, I have little faith often. And I think, oh, God's not going to save that person. And, I, and, it's, and to be honest, it's mostly with, with closer folks, even in, in family circles. But we must keep praying that God would work. And God will do, He will do that, but He works in the ways that He wills. But at the end of the day, back to our application. <clears throat> flesh and blood will only reveal flesh and blood. It cannot reveal the deeper doctrines of spiritual things. And it cannot reveal that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So, another application following along with this. If we want people out there and people in our own, in, in this church to con confess, we, as individuals and as a church, must not rely on flesh and blood 
devices to gather them in. We must not be tempted, as the world is, to appeal to men and women today, especially the entertainment world that we live in that so dominates our, our culture, our secular culture, and, and sadly, much of the church as well. That's one of the reasons that, that we really try to be simple here at Grace and just, just simply preach the Word and let it be. Let it fall where it will fall and not try to do other things in order to gather people in. Um, and, and, and that's okay, but once we get them here, we must stay simple because we may, we may make the most effective appeals to flesh and blood, to the things that are persuasive and enticing to the fleshly nature of mankind. However, those means will never bring about saving faith. Who must do it? God must do it. And we must give them the Word, particularly, because faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. So as we teach and proclaim God's Word about Jesus... Father in heaven reveals in his own timing to the minds he, he gives to our minds and to our hearts. He reveals to us saving faith. So God will do that. So that's, that's just a couple applications. We'll get some more at the end. But that's truth number one. That our confession is based upon the revelation of God. Number two. And this is, this is central. This is probably, this, not probably, this is the central point of the, of the entire passage. Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church. And we're going to delve into that in the next couple of weeks, but we're going to just introduce it this morning. But Christ is the foundation of the church. And so in this text, after explaining to Peter where he got his confession, then he looks at Peter and he says, Peter, which, what, what does Peter's name mean? Rock. So he says, Peter, and we do that in English, but Petros, Petra, Peter, which means rock. And then he says, right after that, after giving his name, then he says, upon this rock I will build my church. Look at verse 18. And I tell you, you are Peter, you are rock. And on this rock I will build my church. So really... Um, Jesus is giving a play on words here to make a point. We don't know. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked with you, Weston. I haven't found a commentary that said right quite what have you said it yet, but I'm sure there's, you got that from somewhere, that Christ could have been standing beside an important place where there was a major rock, I mean, the Dome of the Rock, which we hear about today, that those, those places, the mountains, those things, even in Jordan, Petra today, there where, the, where those folks would have known, hey, the, Jesus is talking about building his church on some kind of rock. Well, he uses this play on words because Peter's name mean, means rock. Well, I want to I delve into to just for a few minutes. I want to ask the question, what did Jesus mean by this statement? Upon this rock, I will build my church, considering it's a play on words. Well, this particular verse has caused more divisions in the church than anything. Because the Catholics read it one way, and we as Protestants read it a very different way. 
And so I want to give, there's four main views. I'm going to give them to you and then I'm going to walk through them very briefly. So what does this confession mean? Well, the first one is this. First possibility is Peter is the foundation of the church. That's one possibility from the text. Two, Peter's confession is the foundation of the church. That's another view. Number three, and I'll go ahead and tell you this is the, this is the view that I would take for sure. But number three, Christ himself is the rock upon which the church is founded. And then number four, and we'll get to this as well, but possibility number four is that Peter is not the foundation, but Peter is a foundation. Or he is, we might say, foundational to the building of the church. Well, let's walk through these for just a minute. The first option, Peter is the foundation of the church, which that is why today that Catholics would say when the Pope speaks from his chair, he speaks with the authority of Christ and the church, and what he says is infallible. We do not see it this way. And so the first option, Peter is the foundation, well, I cannot go there, and I don't think Scripture teaches that. To speak of a mere man, and when you think about the disciples, which one, they all sinned greatly, but which one sinned the most? It was Peter. Peter was the one, anyway, when you think about him, he's always opening his mouth, and Jesus is always rebuking him, or he's doing something, and Jesus is teaching Peter, or he's denying the Lord Jesus. Peter was a great sinner. So to speak of a mere man, fallible child of Adam, such as Peter, a sinner, as the one upon which the church will be built, I don't even think it's, it's, it's even a possibility. Peter is not the foundation of the church. If this had been the case, Jesus would have said, I will build my church upon you, Peter, instead of saying, upon this rock. I will build my church. Also, just a little bit later, Matthew 18, the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest. If they would have understood Jesus to have met Peter as the foundation, then do you think they would have had an argument about who would be the greatest apostle, the greatest disciple? But they were arguing over it. And so they knew that. I think that's, that's some reasons. We could go into that. But very briefly, that's the first view, that Peter is the foundation. And I, I, do, I do not think we can accept that view. Second opinion, second option. Peter's confession. That the church is built upon Peter's confession. After all, what was his confession? You are the son of the living God. This confession is true. So I think there, there is some truth there because the church is built upon this confession. But the thing is, the confessions, they are true, but they always explain something deeper than just the mere confession. So yes, Peter's confession was true in a manner of speaking. Again, the church is built upon this true confession, but the actual building of the church is not based upon the confession itself. It is based upon Christ, who is the one that we confess. So that's, that's opinion number two. <clears throat> Let's jump down to opinion number four. 
That is, Peter is a foundation. Now, this, this has some truth to it, for sure, at least in the context of this passage, because in verse 19, Peter is going to say, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And we'll get to that in a couple weeks, or next week, actually, when we think about that a lot, in a lot more detail. But in other words, Jesus is giving, I believe, some authority to the apostles. And we believe that, looking back today, that they had some authority that we do not have today. And they're all dead. And so there is something to this, because Ephesians 2, verse 20 Paul says, the church is built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. So, there is a sense upon which Peter and the apostles were foundational, I would say, to the building of the church. But they weren't the big T, the big foundation of the church. So, with this in mind, I believe that the, possi- the only possibility that fits is that Jesus himself is the foundation, is the rock upon which the church is built. And that's very brief, guys. We could go into so much more detail this morning. But I think we all agree there. I think about my favorite city to visit in the world. Some of you might be able to name that one. We've been there many times. What would it be? Istanbul. Love Istanbul. And it's just, it's just a great city. But I think often of the original walls that go around the city, the smaller part of the intersection of Istanbul. And those walls were built by the Romans many, many, many hundreds of years ago. And through all the earthquakes and all the natural disasters and all the shiftings of the earth, whatever is going on, those walls, the the foundations of those walls are still standing today and they stand today because they are built upon a great foundation first peter 2 5 and 8 5 through 8 peter affirms that jesus is the foundation of the church so in the same kind of way those walls are built on this great foundation that cannot well they can be moved but i'm giving you an illustration a picture for us but in the same kind of way We read, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious. He who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. If you have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, he is your foundation. You will not be put to shame. And the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 11, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Paul just affirms what we are saying this morning. So, for us, brothers and sisters, our faith is based upon the foundation of Christ Jesus, the Son of the living God. In particular, His person and His work. Who is Jesus? He is the sinless Son of God. This is the Gospel. And He is the only one who could save us from our sins because... Of his work on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension. He is the foundation of the church. And so as Christians, who do we look to? As the 
foundation. We'll also see that he's the builder of the church. We'll also see that he is the champion of the church. We'll also see that he is the one who instructs the church. All of these things he is, but he is the foundation of the church. So let me ask this. What happens when someone builds upon another foundation? Well, here's some examples. Think about the, our, 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 some of our friends, the Mormons. They say this. They have a faulty understanding of Jesus' person. They don't see him as God in the flesh. They say, here's, this is their words. Jesus was the spiritual firstborn Son of God in pre-existence. Every person who was ever born on earth was our spirit brother or sister in heaven. The first spirit born to our heavenly parents was Jesus Christ. So he is literally our elder brother. So they do not see him in essence as God. The Jehovah's Witnesses, Watchtower Society, they also deny his deity. They say that he was a created being. They say he was the angel, Michael, before he came to earth. In both of these cases, with both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they are building upon a foundation that says that Jesus was merely a man, but not God. Not as Peter, and that we confess today, Jesus, you are the Son of the living God, and all and what that means. And in these cases, in both of these cases, there can be no salvation. There can be no real church. So they're going to church on Sundays or Saturdays or whatever day they go, but they are not in the real church because they do not believe what the Bible teaches about lots of things they miss, but particularly the deity of Christ. Jesus had to be God in order to be the foundation of the church. Just think about it. If Jesus were only a man, how could he bear up under the wrath of God that was poured out upon him on the cross? If he were only a man, how can he have power over death? If he were only a man, how, can, how could he satisfy God's justice, gain his favor, purchase a people for himself as we are purchased by him? How could he give his spirit to them and conquer all of our enemies. And then at the end, bring us to God in salvation. Listen to the words of Isaiah 9. It's not even Christmas time, but we read these. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from this time forward even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Jesus had to be God in order to, in order to save us, in order to be the foundation of the church. And then from another perspective... Although much fewer, there have been those who have denied that Jesus was a man, believe it or not. Some thought he was only an appearance, or a phantasm, or a dispensation, or a cloud, or something like this. Something showing divine power. But we know, and I think this one's easier, but Jesus also had to be a man in order to be the foundation of the church. 
If he were not a man, then how could he come and be obedient to God's law? How could he actually suffer? He laid down his life on the cross, suffered. How could he make intercession for us in our nature if he were not a man? How could he be tested as we are? Everything that you are going through, Jesus has been tested in the same kinds of ways and more. How could he be if he were not a man? How could he be all of these things? From the fall of Adam, God required the obedience of a man to restore what mankind lost in Adam. So consider these words from Hebrews 7, verse 24. But because he continues forever... Where is Jesus now? He sits at the right hand of the Father. And we we can speak like this because the Bible tells us in what form His glorified body forever, where He will make intercession for us. But because He continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God. Since He always lives to make intercession for them. Brothers and sisters, this is our foundation. We cannot build upon any other. And then, if you would, turn with me to Matthew 7. Jesus tells us what will happen to those who build upon another foundation. Verse 24. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who has built his house on the rock. I love to build sand castles. Well, I love to watch other people build sand castles. But But it's pretty cool. I might build for a few minutes, but then I'll sit and watch my kids build something. But at the end of the day, when the tide comes in, what's going to happen to that sandcastle? As much as we try to build up the wall, the waves are going to crash down and it's going to be flattened. As soon as the tide comes in, comes out, maybe you build a big enough hole where it stays a hole for a few days. But after a few days, we know that it will come back just exactly the same. And then he says here, continuing on, The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on what? The rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. So just by way of application, if we as Christians, if we want to follow the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that works come out of the heart. Works come out of what God has revealed. Works come out of regeneration and calling and conversion. We know that happens. But if you find yourself over a period of time not following the words of the Bible and following the words of the Sermon on the Mount and following the New Testament, following all of what it says, then according to these words, what kind of foundation are you building upon? You're building upon sand. But those who do His words, by way of application, we are building upon the rock. 
So let me ask a question as we start to finish up the sermon here in a few minutes. What happens when someone tries to add to this foundation? Well, you might say, how can someone add to this foundation? Well, this happens all the time, and I won't spend much time here, but this is what the world does. When you speak with the world about God, and they might be a little bit religious, or when you speak to your friends at school, and they want to be a little bit religious and talk, say that they're a Christian or say they, they trust God, but you look at their lives and you go, well, I'm not sure you're getting that, or yet they, they start explaining things that goes contrary to the Bible. Then at the end of the day, oftentimes people will say, you know what, I'm not such a bad person. I look over at my neighbor and I think, you know, I'm doing better than that person. Or they go, you know, I know what the Ten Commandments say, and, you know, I'm, I haven't killed anyone, and I haven't, I've been faithful to my spouse or whatever. Well, the world, what they're doing is they're basing their, their foundation, they're adding to Christ by adding works, works. And I think this is generally what many religions do. And to a large extent, the Catholic Church and even the, the Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox Church, they often do this. And that's still one of our departures from them. But the world does this. It looks to everything else but Christ as the way to get to God. There are many roads that lead to God, they say. There are also, I think, many who name the name of Christ that are building on the foundation of works. I think back to my own life. I was building upon my baptism and my somewhat faithful attendance at my local church and my maybe obedience to my parents and all of these things, but yet I didn't understand the gospel. I didn't get it. And so what was I doing? What was my foundation? I was building upon those things as opposed to the person and work of Christ. Think back to the walls from Istanbul. There they are, built on this foundation. Well, what's interesting is through the years, they've gone back and built upon those walls. Engineers, good engineers. But what has happened when the next earthquake comes, they fall down again. The original walls are still standing, but they fall down again and again. And that's what we do. That's what the world does when we do not base our salvation upon Christ and Christ alone. So in the same, again, same way when, when the world or anyone, for that matter, tries to add to the foundation of the work of Christ, they only will fail. Acts 4.12, Peter says this. He preaches a sermon, and he says there, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So I would appeal to you today, if you are not a Christian, that you would look unto Christ and be saved. That you would believe what I'm telling you, that you would believe what the Bible is telling you, and build, start building your life upon the real foundation if you've been building it on something else. I would appeal to you to do that. The only thing that will stand at the end of the day is the church's one foundation, which is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And listen to these words. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through Him 
and for Him. He is before all things. In Him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. Salvation is found in no other, only in Christ alone. So in closing this morning, let me also read from the words of Ephesians 2, 19-22. Now therefore, speaking to us today, so what we will leave with this morning. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and aliens and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. This is the church. And again, there may be some things here too that you think, John, you've left out in this. I have on purpose. We will come back and we will be there again the next couple weeks. But today, if you are a Christian and you are part of the church of Christ, our foundation is sure. It is based upon the revelation of God that's come down to us, and then it is based upon Christ, His person and His work, as the one upon which God's church today we are being built. So with that in mind, I I pray that this will be helpful to us this week. I will pray for you this week and look forward to when I would see you during the week and when we'll see you next week. With that in mind, JB, if you want to make your way on up, and I'll I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks again for this day. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for being good to us in your word this morning. Father, that, that you've revealed these things to us. We do not confess Jesus is Lord apart from your revealing, apart from your spirit. I pray that you would give us grace this morning that we would we would trust you more, that we would love you more in Christ. And we just give you this day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grace Baptist Church podcast. You can listen to past sermons at podbean.com. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove to find us. You can also find us on Apple Podcast. Search Grace Baptist Church China Grove. You can also join us at the South Row NYMCA, 950 Kimball Road, China Grove, North Carolina. We meet on Sunday mornings at 930 for fellowship and service starts at 10. Thank you for listening and remember to be intentional in making disciples this week.